I cannot stand them. Because even over my fan going and my rainforest app, that or not rainforest, my water rain app that I've got, I can still hear these little... How dare you talk about Savannah like it, that? Yeah. It, I can hear her when she gets up, too. Because she lets Daisy out and goes, click, 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 click. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, wait. Like... No, worse than that. Here, let me let me do it. Worse than that. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Maybe like... Wait, wait. Yeah, that. Light it on fire. <laughs> Precisely. No. Hmm. Actually, Faster. that sounds close. Faster, yeah. Ooh, yes, honey. Bring that yeah. bass. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that bass. Count that bass. No treble. I'm all about that bass. Count that bass. No treble. I don't know what that means. She only likes... Big ass booty. Big ass dicks. Big ass dick. Wait, what, why did Blackberry tag me in this? Yeah, because you just said big ass dicks. Wait, what's happening? Oh, okay. Savannah sent me something. Mm. (sighs) Are you welcoming yourself to our spoopy podcast or not? Oh, hi. It's me. Welcome. I'm here. Were you recording? Yeah, I've been recording. (laughs) Oh, here's where I did it. I talked about doing it on those past two ones. Hi, welcome to Our Spoopy Podcast, my podcast at your house. That's my podcast at your podcast dot our spoopy podcast dot our podcast dot our podcast dot Google. <laughs> hey, Spencer. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> We've had a change of scenery here. We have. I know. Look at the beautiful chandeliers that I've got here. Oh my God, you have one light bulb. One. I know. I hate it. That's so beautiful. We're at Chris's house today. Yeah, oh my God. Because. We're at Chris's house today. <laughs> we enjoy changing up a little bit of scenery every once in a while, but that at one time out of 22 weeks. I just wanted to come over here and have Chris make me a homemade, good old-fashioned, southern, served-in-a-box meal. Oh my god, and did I deliver, girl. I mean, you delivered, except you got medium buffalo wings. So I, I, I didn't died. deliver, someone else delivered. Well... It's not DiGiorno, it's delivery. <laughs> it's not DiGiorno, it's delivery! <laughs> Who is the delivery driver? Uh, Why didn't you get their name? Some man with a limp. <laughs> He's so sweet. Is he it deli- always the same one? Yes. <laughs> and sometimes it takes him an hour and a half to get here when the Pizza Hut is seven minutes away. And sometimes it takes him... Today it only took him 40 minutes to get here, which so is very nice. So you're making fun of him for having a No, I'm not here. trying to... Because it takes him a little longer. Not tra- okay. He can drive a car. Well, it's <laughs> not what you made it sound like, and I'm offended His now. car hopefully only is right in front of the Pizza Hut in the parking lot, so he can just meander outside. The term is traipse, traipse. and I'm offended. He can make his way outside, get in the car, and drive over here with the pizza. Most of the time when he gets here, the pizza's ice cold. Uh, both times that we... No, three times now, we have ordered the pizza from Pizza Hut, and it has given us an uh, estimated delivery time of 20 to 30 minutes. And by the time it reaches... Because me and Savannah are trying to avoid confrontations with our delivery drivers and our food. Uh, and by the time it reaches an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, that's when we call Pizza Hut and say, Hello. Hello. <laughs> Please, sir, um, can I have my pizza? Where is my pizza? And they're like, what did you say? <laughs> you Normie? want your food? 
<laughs> the fuck? So then they uh, they call the delivery driver, and they're like, it'll be there soon. And all of a sudden, the delivery driver shows up, and it's ice cold. I'm like, did you forget that I was in your trunk? <laughs> no, he's smoking pot on Yeah, the, I don't know. On the street. He's a sweet guy. And I still yeah, give him 20% tip. Yeah, he's here. <laughs> but it, it's still always like a, where were you, sir? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Um, so we're having a evening that needs to be shortened. shortened. <laughs> uh, so let's get into this booth. Let's do it. As much as I love all of you guys, we are going to try and make as many jokes as possible. However, I'm not certain how much jokes we can, how many, how much jokes, how much, how, jokes. How much joke, how much joke can we make, uh, during certain topics of these? Um, none of that was English. Uh, <laughs> She's not speaking anything today. Um, we have recorded two podcasts before this, uh, and now this is our third, and we're going to make it through it together, y'all. She is going to power through. We're going to do it. I'm excited. So, <clears throat> it's my turn to go for it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do do the... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm going to be talking about... Jodi Arias. Oh my gosh. I had not heard of her. Whenever you uh, mentioned to me, I had to Google it just slightly. I didn't look at anything, but I just had to find out what her name was. I had not, not heard she's, of it one bit. She's she's she's, it. she's up there. I'll get to it. She's something. Um, so I wanted to keep my theme from interesting cases of the early 2000s, or I guess this is late 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week I wanted to talk about the murder of Travis Alexander, who was murdered by Jodi Arias who is vicious as fuck. Uh, the case is extremely unique and the, uh, is interesting to me because it has many similarities to Casey Anthony or mm-hmm. Kaylee Anthony murder trial. Which ju- we just talked about We the just talked about last episode. week. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our episode, Wazinga! Wazinga! <laughs> um, <laughs> because this case is so laced with lies that mm-hmm. it's so fucking ridiculous. Well, I mean, so was uh, Casey Anthony. Jesus, like... I almost think this is worse. Is it? Oh, I'm not excited about that then. Because, I mean, that Casey Anthony whole situation, I was like, these are a bunch of fucktard Floridians that have no idea what the fuck they're doing. And sure enough, they got away with murder. They murdered a child and got away with it. You ready for some fucktard Arizonians? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to eat some wings while we're doing it. Go right ahead, bitch. They're way too hot. Yes, I love it. Um, So we need to start at the beginning, mostly about their relationship. But I'll give a little bit of background about the two. So in 1977, Travis Alexander is born. According to Dateline 48 Hours, he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. His parents had six other children, um, and his parents were addicted to crystal meth. So there were seven of them. Seven children, yes. Shit. Uh, They lived here and there over the years, but eventually Travis, with his mother and his siblings, went to live with his maternal grandmother. I'm switching to that reading view, because that reading view is lit. (laughs) I'm so used to... Can you hear me crunching? Yep. I love that. <laughs> Sounds like intestines. Because they're not that crispy. Uh, At this point, it's four hours after the fact that I ordered it. So it's a little mushy. And they're nice and <laughs> luke cold. I'm just like slosh in my mouth. So you sound like that girl from Dragula season six, or oh episode my, six. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so. I'm so self-conscious now. Well then back up. I am. Um, Travis was so involved in the religion. Oh shit. Uh, Travis became heavily involved in uh, the Mormon faith. Uh, okay. To his grandmother. 
Um, he was so involved in the religion that he made ties and became a successful salesman uh, with a man who, I, I won't say his name. Because um, he was Mormon. Yeah. Okay. Because um, Mormons are like, you are, you're a real Mormon? Come on down. Come on down. Yeah, it's very... I got a job for you and a wife. I dare I say it's very cult-like. It's pretty culty. in there, yeah. It's uh, almost like Westboro Baptist Church, honestly. That's a cult. We should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's spooky. Honestly, Scientology. We should do Scientology. I'm afraid of them. Uh, me too. <laughs> I'm afraid of Googling them because I'm afraid they're going to find me and somehow like, convince me. Here, hold your hand on these two little dials and let me tell you how much of a bad person you are and yeah. you're not going to go down a spaceship with us. <laughs> okay. Um, J- Jody, on the other hand, had a more relaxed childhood growing up in California. They met and become instantly enthralled together and would travel across the Southwest to be together. She lived in California and he lived in Arizona. Um, and they would travel back and forth. She lived in... Um, That's not close. It's not close. <laughs> it's like a five or six hour drive. Because I know that like once you get out of Texas... Like, if you're traveling from Houston to El Paso, that's 12 hours. From El Paso to L.A., that's 12 hours. So, like, El Paso's halfway through uh, from when you enter Texas. It's, 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 I mean, Arizona borders uh, California. California, so it's but still. the it's closest, and Phoenix is dead like center in the center of the state. six hours, five or six hours? Yeah. Four to five hours, I would say. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't look. No, do you think I have Google Maps? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't tell time. Hey, MapQuest. What? <laughs> um, so, Jody converted to Mormonism in order for them to have a relationship be more secure in the eyes of the church. This perplexed a lot of his family and friends because of a main tenet of Mormonism is that sex before marriage is strictly forbidden. Um, they, this continued for some period of time. Many of Travis's relatives thought that he was seeing many different people at the same time as Jody. So the best thing to do... But isn't that also a part of Mormonism? That you're not supposed to do that. See many different people at one time? Yeah, I thought Mormons had multiple wives. Oh, yeah, you're right. You can. But you're not supposed to have sex with them. Well, you're not supposed to have sex with them before you're married to them. But you're allowed to be married to multiple women. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Threw a hitch in your program, didn't I? Bitches be jealous. Jellins? Dr. Scholes? Get your Jellins on! <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> um, the fuck was I talking about? You're talking about uh, Jellies. No, Jell- Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When multiple so people. He, he's seeing multiple people. And so Jody says, what the fuck do I need to do? Mm-hmm. Let me move to Arizona. So she moves to Arizona. Uh, she moves to Mesa, which is just outside of Phoenix. It's like Pasadena to Houston on the Texas Localities podcast. So that's not that far. No. Okay. 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they still continued their relationship. Um, after a little while, Jody became quite certain that Travis was having sex with other women. So she moved back home to California. According to Travis's friends and family, this was a sign of the end of their relationship. But according to Jody, they continued a sexual relationship. So from that time, Jody started. Um, so everyone, all of his friends said, "They're she done. She left. They're done." And she was like, "No, we're still having sex." Well, she'd go over there and have sex with him often. Um, 
Okay. After that for a while, she decided, I'm going to go on a road trip. So she drives from Utah to go to a seminar for Travis's company. This is how they met. They met through this Mormon security company. Or Mormon. But didn't she transfer to or convert to Mormonism because of him? Yep. So how did they meet through a Mormon conference? Not a Mormon conference. Oh, it was they like were just up there in Utah. Sales of uh, loft services. Okay. Um, um, she drove to Utah for the seminar for this company and allegedly to hang out with a new guy from the same company who she would start seeing. Um, she was seen there, but after the event, she was supposed to drive to Los Angeles, but that's not what happened. Mm. So Travis had scheduled a trip from Cancun or a, tra- a trip to Cancun, um, and he had missed an important conference call on the night of June 4th, 2008. At 7 p.m. On June 9th, having been unable to reach Alexander, most people from, or some people from prepaid legal services, this is the company that they both worked for, um, went to his home to check on him. His roommates said that he was out of town. After some searching, they found a key to Alexander's master bedroom, and when they entered it, they noticed large pools of blood in the hallway leading to the master bathroom, where his body was discovered in the shower. And I, ooh. <laughs> That escalated very quickly. Very quickly. I just wanted a little background. Yeah. Because that, the main thing is the trial. I was going to say, that was a little background to go into, I assume, three and a half pages now of something else. Oh, yes. But this <laughs> is read-only, so it's seven. Okay. Um, they made the 911 call to notify authorities of the discovery of mentioned... Uh, the Of the discovery. They mentioned an ex-girlfriend, Jody, who Alexander was said was stalking him hacking into his Facebook account, and slashing his tires. But did the roommates not ever see her come? They were out of town. Oh. Alexander's body was discovered in the shower at his home. His throat had been cut. As well, he had been shot in the head and stabbed multiple times. There had been conflicting reports over the number of stab wounds, but some some reports state 29, many state 27, and the verdict is more than 20. Wow. Maricopa County Medical Examiner Dr. Kevin Horn testified that Alexander's jugular vein, common carotid uh, artery, and windpipe had all been slashed. That means she cut from back here across the the front. So that's like a third of your neck. She went deep. Um, Alexander's hands had also had defensive wounds. Horn further testified that Alexander may have been dead at the time that the gunshot wound was inflicted. Alexander's death was was ruled as a homicide. They're saying that he got shot after his neck was slit. Yep. Wow. May have. May have. Allegedly. 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 Uh, So Jody did some really important things that definitely tie her to the crime. And I'll talk through those. Being a psycho bitch. Well, on May 28th, 2008, a burglary occurred at the residence of Arya's grandparents with whom she was living in Eureka, California. Wait, she was living with his grandparents? With her grandparents. Or her, sorry. She broke into her own grandparents' house, <laughs> stole a twenty-five caliber gun and other objects. The grandparents' gun was never recovered, and the prosecutor argued, argued that the burglary was staged by Arias and the stolen gun was used to shoot Alexander. I mean, it's very easy to tie the gun to... It's like, the same gun. Yeah, you can tell... The bullet like, is the same. Even if you don't find the gun, you can find the bullet... Like, I mean, yeah, it's super simple. 
Um, after Alexander's death, but before his body was discovered, Arius had continued to call him and had left him several voicemail messages. It was later alleged that she had accessed, accessed, uh, Alexander's, assessed. Assessed Alexander's voicemail messages after his death. She said that Alexander had originally planned to visit her on in May of 2008, but his plans had changed. So, Wait, she, when, what was the month that he, that he was found dead? Sorry, catch me up on that. I'm sorry. I must have missed that. June. June, okay. So the month before, he was supposed to visit her. Okay. Yep. Um, on June 2nd, Arias rented a white Ford Focus in Redding, California, about 100 miles south of her residence. She told the budget, uh, budget rent-a-car staff that she would only be driving the car locally, but when the car was returned on June 7th, it had been driven 2,800 miles. Holy shit. Uh, it was also missing all of its floor mats, and there was what looked to be Kool-Aid stains on the front and rear seats. The car was cleaned before police were able to examine it. So, mm. so there was blood. Blood, yeah. Somewhere, and she probably got it on the floor mats. She disposed of the floor mats. Well, okay. Anyways, continue. I'm sorry. Alexander. I'm trying not to interrupt as much, but I'm still trying to calculate all of this. <laughs> she, we haven't even gotten to the part where she's fucking crazy i live for it um alexander's damaged digital camera was located downstairs in the washing machine the camera was new detective flores via phone interview with arias asked her if she knew a possible motive for why someone would want to damage alexander's camera although images had been deleted mesa police were able to recover the images is this microphone off nope <laughs> oh no i think it's this one hello 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 Hello, 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 hello? Yep. Okay. Let's um, just hope that it's not super echoey. It doesn't sound that way in Okay, the that's fine. Um, so they recovered the images from the camera from the washing machine. Even though it was damaged? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the photos were deleted. Mm. Um, which, I don't know how that happens, but I'm happy. It saves in like a weird... <clears throat> it's almost like whenever you delete things in your recycle bin... And then you delete from the recycle bin. You can still pull them off. Pull them off even after you delete from the recycle bin because your computer knows everything. That You're, every, everyone knows everything. At, like anything you type or put anywhere, you can always recover it. Yeah. Always. Your computer's like you, fucking dumbass. Yeah. We'll always. You find don't it. need. You know you need this. Yeah. Exactly. I'll save it for you in this like weird, awkward like storage facility somewhere that you can't find it, but I'll find it for you. <gasps> Demon Bailey's. Um, so the recovered images included Arius and Alexander, both in sexually suggestive poses mm. at approximately 1.40 p.m. on June 4th, 2008. Oh, boy. Here she comes. Here's a little hey, demon. Hello, clickies. Come here, babies. Come lay down. And there's no daisy. Can you sit? Anyways, continue. I'm sorry. Um, so the last photo of Alexander alive in the shower was taken at 5.29 p.m. on June 4th. Moments later, images of an individual appeared to be Alexander profusely bleeding on the floor. So she took pictures of after she killed him. Oh, boy. You dumb bitch. <laughs> I'm going to show you the last picture of Travis Alexander okay. alive. That's, that was one thing that I refused to look at for my uh, topic was pictures i probably should have but i i couldn't can bring myself to it we'll talk about it because <laughs> it's rough yeah i wouldn't look at them either mm -mm. it's too much for me 
Let's we'll start hearing like all the descriptions. Oh my gosh, that's before he got his throat slit. So he's obviously crying. He's in the shower. Yeah, I know, but he's obviously crying too. You see his eyeballs all like swollen and stuff. That one's not. I guess it's not really that accurate. You looking. are causing problems. Okay. I don't think he's crying. No, I guess he's maybe not crying. There's weird filtering of the photo to maybe make it look like he was crying. But he definitely does definitely doesn't look comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sit down. A bloody palm print was located in the bathroom hallway, which DNA revealed to be a mixture of Arius's and Alexander's. So that means she was bloody too. I mean, she touched his blood and put it on the wall. Wait, her fingerprint or like her the palm blood? Print. Oh, palm print. Okay. <clears throat> um, Ryan Burns and two others who met Arias in Utah after the killing had occurred indicated that she had had bandages on her hands and she wore long sleeves, even on days where it was very hot. She told different stories about how she received the cuts to her hands. Burns told her that they were from an... Or Burns told... Burns was told by Arias that they were from an injury while working at Margaritaville restaurant. At the trial, it was revealed by Siskiyou County, California authorities that no such restaurants exist nor have ever existed in Siskiyou, California. <laughs> at the time of the killing, she worked at Casa Ramos in Eureka. So nowhere near what she's talking about and not a Margaritaville, so. Yep. Uh, uh, we so, love people who can't make up their own alibis. Honey, you ready for this? Mm-hmm. So at first, Arius claims. You ready for this? So Arius claims she wasn't in Mesa when Alexander was murdered on June 4th, a Wednesday. She says, I know I talked to him that early Monday morning, saying that she hadn't seen him since April. She knew that he was going, or he knew that she was going on a road trip, she explained, and he was the kind of guy guilting me because I wasn't going to Arizona. I was going to Utah. Verbatim. Um, another To meet another guy, she added. So they had this sort of relationship, Arias said, where they were on a need-to-know basis. Meanwhile, Alexander's friends told police that he had been dating a, quote, crazy person who had slashed his tires and hacked his Facebook account. So... Look at this girl. Yeah. Like, this bitch is crazy. He was dating her. Go for it. Yeah. Um, this is me telling you that she's insane. This, this is the one. Yeah. Um, so a few weeks after finding a waterlogged digital camera in the washing machine, uh, police told Arias, road trip or not, she had had time to drive to Arizona and commit the crime. She said, or the detective says, I know you know there's pictures because I have them. She, uh, he showed her a photo. He says, that's you. That's all of you. He said, leaning over the picture. Uh, Arius leans over the picture and says verbatim, that looks like me. So she's pretending that it's not still. Yeah. So they have pictures of her naked body, essentially, on camera. On his camera. From a camera that she thought that she had destroyed. And she had mileage on whatever vehicle she was driving for 2,800 miles from California to supposedly Utah. That's not 2,800 miles. What would be 2,800 miles if she drove from California to Utah to Arizona to Utah back to California? 
that might be 2,800 miles, but come on, girl. Let's We're go, so good. I'm so, come I'm sorry, on, let's going. go. Um, so then he put her under arrest, <clears throat> and then she admits that she was there telling police. Um, at his house at mm-hmm. that night. Yeah. That she and Travis had, had just had sex when two intruders broke into the apartment. Oh, my God. They killed him, and they attacked her, but she had managed to escape. It was the scariest experience of my life, she told. 48 hours dateline. It was just so unreal. It was like a movie unfolding, like a horrible movie. Um, But there were no signs of forced entry in the house. Nothing had been stolen from the apartment, and Alexander lived with roommates. In her next version of events... So they would have either seen some sort of forced entry, or they, if they were home... No, they weren't home. You said that already. In the next version of events... She claimed that she was taking his picture in the shower when he dropped his camera, making him angry. He threw her to the floor, she said, and then pulled her up to keep attacking her. This was worse than Eileen Warnos. So she shot him. Uh, she She says she didn't remember stabbing him. I did not kill Travis, Arias told the police in a videotaped interview played at the trial. I don't think I could stab him. I think I would have had to shoot him until he was dead if that were my intentions, but I would have had to wear gloves. Question mark. (laughs) If I had it in in me to kill him, the least I could do was make it as humane as possible. Quote. So she's already had the idea in her mind to kill him, but she's like, I would have done it more humanely. Mm. Well, you crazy no, first ass. she wasn't there. Second, she was there, and then somebody else did it. And then they were like, no, bitch, you did it. And, and she's, she's like, like, okay, I did. It was so you were right, but listen, <clears throat> let me tell you something, because it gets worse. You're a dumb bitch. She insisted the murder was not premeditated. No juries can convict me, she told Inside Edition in 2008 on live television, because I'm innocent, and you can mark my words that no one, no jury will convict me. So she lied twice already mm-hmm. and admitted to it. She said, yes, I lied. This is her, this is her now third story that she's going to try and stick with mm-hmm. in a matter of a year. <laughs> Less than that. Weeks. <laughs> Weeks, yeah. Also, it's a crime to lie to the police. Yeah. Um, That's enough to convict you. A jury to convict you. We haven't even been to trial yet. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> the trial is a shit show. I can imagine. <laughs> there are many more allegations from Jody. They try to paint her as a victim, stating, she grow, stating as she was grown up, she was beat on the regular. Her mother would whip her with a belt. They also alleged that Travis was a sex addict, a mm-hmm. pedophile, and verbally and physically abusive. She lied on stage and said, on stage. On sure, a, yeah, yeah, on stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on air and on stage is pretty much the same thing. I'll defend you on that one. <laughs> um, and. Uh, said that she had seen him once in the bedroom with a picture of a little boy. And he was masturbating and he was upset that she was inside the room. I'm not trying to defend a murderer here, but I'm going to say something very terrible about the Mormon church for a second. I don't disbelieve that. (laughs) Is that bad? If you're Mormon, I'm sorry you're listening to this, but find help. (laughs) I don't think that's true. I, I don't know that 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 situation is not true. I'm saying it's not that unbelievable. No, but... I don't I'm just saying. I'm just saying. 
Um, Can you click away somewhere else? Psychologist Alice Liviolette had been testifying for more than a week about her conclusions that Arias was a victim of both physical and emotional abuse. However, no other evidence or testimony other than Arias's accounts have been presented at the, jural, at the trial showing uh, Alexander have ever been physically violent. Yeah. I mean, especially if he's dating at that point, they had she had made claims that he was dating other people or had was worried about him dating other people. Someone should have come forward at this point. And why are you going to was... beat your own girlfriend if you're trying to see other girls? Exactly. You don't give a fuck. Get the fuck out of my house. It's like, okay, I don't want to see you anymore. I'll go date these other four girls that I'm dating yeah. or fucking. Um, the jury posed nearly 160 questions to La Violette, many of them focusing on Arias's credibility. Who's La Violette? The, the um, defense's oh, psychotherapist. Because okay. in Arizona... Sorry. What the hell? She had to shake her ears. <laughs> In Arizona, the juries can ask questions. Okay. Isn't that cool? Oh, that's crazy. I think that's important. That, no, I agree, too. Because that, I mean, that helps the jury to themselves to try and they take, will like, always have step. questions. Exactly. Questions that both the defense and the prosecutors are not asking or answering because the prosecutors are going to stage their questions the way they want to stage their question. The defense mm-hmm. is going to stage their questions and the answer the way they want to stage them. The jury gets to be the person that says... Uh, I don't like either of your questions. I'm going to stage this question own. the exact way that I because want Because they're to. the ones that are supposed to be unbiased. Exactly. And I think we should have that law all over the United States. Exactly. Also, uh, I think we need to further reinforce uh, more of the unbiased media kind of situation, or I'm sorry, unbiased jury, to keep and keep media out of certain situations up until they can have a trial. Good girl. In most cases, I think that they do do a decent job of that. Mm-hmm. But I do think that smaller cases that are not... Widely known. known, exactly. Like Casey Anthony, I don't think that... You were never going to f- get a fair trial. You never. were never going to get a fair never trial. Never No matter what. Yeah. Because, I mean, as soon as someone from a media latches onto the story, all the media knows about it, and it escalates nationally, especially if it becomes a story that's of, like, I mean, Christopher Dunch in 2008, whenever, you know, all, he was murdering people... Uh, I mean, that was the story that got latched onto. So as soon as someone latches onto these stories, that becomes a story that continues to spiral and spiral and spiral. So you will never have a point that someone may not know about it. So honestly, I get to a point it's like, bring people from other countries that are not listening to our media that understand enough, or not enough, understand English to be able to like decide on these points, you know? But the Constitution ensures you have a jury of your peers. Whatever. And your peers are your not peers of the world, countries. okay? <laughs> in today's day and age, yes, but not according to the Constitution. We live in a globalized world. Mm. Uh, so, well, put me on the stage, girl. Canada, <laughs> I will listen to anything. Honestly, I'm such a judgmental bitch that I'm like, do it, let's do it. <laughs> put me on there. They were like, and he put drag queens up there. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> he watched Fox News for 20 minutes. <laughs> bitch, girl, guilty, 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 guilty as fuck. <laughs> He had a gun. Ooh, he did it. He's he gone. did it, honey. Oh, my God. They both had guns. They're Ooh. both guilty. <laughs> One of them's dead, sir. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> Send them both to jail. Who are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly. Um, clinical psychologist Janine DeMart testified that for the prosecution, stating that she found no evidence of Alexander abusing Arias and no evidence of PTSD or amnesia that she did um, she did claim to have amnesia yes 
Lord. Furthermore, Arius claimed a total memory loss for long stretches of time. Like hours. Um, which was inconsistent with traumatic amnesia associated with PTSD, which manifests as much shorter gaps in memory, such as seconds or minutes. Okay, I mean, that's like me whenever I'm blackout drunk. I still remember little portions of what I did. I don't remember exactly why I did them or how I did them to get to where I was. But typically, like when I broke through a back door, I still remember trying to break in the front door and being unsuccessful. don't remember going back to the back door, but I do remember brief seconds of, like milliseconds of trying to break into the back door and then falling asleep, you know, there. So being blackout (laughs) drunk and being messy as fuck... I still remember portions of it. I don't remember why I did it or how I did it, but I did it. So Nobody knows why you did it. Exactly. So the, what I'm saying is the amnesia is not is that not long. Exactly. You don't, get a, you don't get full hours. Yeah. Um, unless you're asleep, which you, you, she obviously wasn't. Or an Ambien. Oh, my God. That's another one I want to talk about. Ambien. Fuck. That, that shit's fucked up. I just want to state that I'm so ready to be unconscious this evening because I've been up since 3 a.m. Yeah. Oh, Carter. Poor thing. Um, He's so old and messy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Poor dog. Um, instead, DeMarta said Arius suffered from borderline personality disorder, showing signs of immaturity and an unstable sense of identity. People who suffer from such a disorder have terrified feelings of people abandoned by, or uh, terrified feelings of being abandoned by others. Verbatim. Um, the final defense witness was psychologist Robert Geffner, who said that DeMarta's borderline diagnosis was not appropriate and that tests taken by Arias since her arrest pointed towards an anxiety disorder stemming from trauma. Shut the fuck up. We'll get there. He also said the test indicated that she answered questions honestly without lying. Further, uh, did he have a lie detector? I am not sure. Following Geffner's testimony, the state recalled Horn, who testified further on the gunshot wound, and called Jill Haynes, a forensic neurologist, to uh, dispute Geffner's testimony that the MMPI test was not geared towards diagnosing borderline personality disorder, concluding a long day in court at 8.29 p.m. He also took these tests only after her first story, where she said she was not in Arizona at all. So... After three times of lying, or two times of lying, three different stories, they now re- they're saying... They do a test. What, wait, what? They were looking for... They did the borderline personality test. Um, and so they attested... She would have an anxiety disorder stemming from this trauma. They only did it after her first lie of saying, I wasn't oh, even in Arizona. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, not after she had lied... Twice. Okay, got, gotcha. I'm uh, sorry, I thought you were saying that... For some reason, I got it twisted in my mind saying that, and by some reason, I'm sure it was alcohol involved, that (laughs) I thought that you were saying that they tested and said that they agreed with her earlier situation. I'm sorry. So they had only tested before she had said all her her other lies. Okay. Which, those tests you're not supposed to be able to lie on, but she was able to lie on. Yeah. So she's a a psychopath. She's good at it. Fucking bitch. She's not a psychopath. She's a sociopath. So... Has yes. no empathy towards others. Correct. Sociopath. Um, in closing arguments... Kind of similar to Casey Anthony. 100%. Yeah. That's why I thought they were so similar and I wanted to do it. Um, on, in closing arguments on May 4th, Arias's defense argued that the premeditation theory did not make sense. What happened in that moment in time, the relationship, the relationship of chaos, 
that ended in chaos as well. There is nothing about what happened on June the 4th in that bathroom that looks planned. Couldn't it also be that after everything they went through in that relationship that she simply snapped? Ultimately, if Miss Arias is guilty of any crime at all, it is the crime of manslaughter and nothing more. Is is the defense. So they're trying to get her the lesser charge because they know she's fucked. Oh, it was just manslaughter. This was fine. Um, In the rebuttal, Martinez described the extent and variety of Alexander's wounds. There is no, quote, there is no evidence that he had ever laid a hand on her, ever. Nothing indicates that this is anything less than a slaughter. There is no way that to appease this woman who just would not leave him alone, he said. Because she's crazy. Because I mean, the she roommates, didn't want him to date other women. She, the roommates have attested multiple times that she was already psychotic, that she was already someone who was obsessed with him, wouldn't leave him alone. So And lied twice to the police. Exactly. This is the point you realize and put all the puzzle pieces together and say, she is a problem. Period. You, you ready for this? Yes, I'm so excited. Do it. Arias's testimony added to a very long defense portion of the guilt phase of the trial, which led to problems with retention of the jury. On April 3rd, a member of the jury was dismissed for misconduct. The defense team asked for a mistrial, which the judge denied. I'm ready to get you heated, bitch. I'm so excited. You're, you are leading up to this situation. I'm very excited about it. On May 7th, 2013, after 15 hours of deliberation... Wait, 2013? This is five years ago. Six years ago. Mm -hmm. I can't do math. Arias (laughs) was found guilty of first-degree murder. Oh, my God. Out of 12 jurors, five jurors... I have one of these moments in this one, too. I'm going to do it to you. What? (laughs) I have one of those moments that you just did to me in this right now uh, for my next... But I know this case, I know you do, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, Guilty of first-degree premeditated murder... And seven jurors found her guilty of both first-degree premeditated murder and a felony murder. She was sentenced to death. Good. She's on death row, but I think since then, Arizona's commuted death penalties, so she's... Life sentences without parole? Life sentence, 25 years without parole. I don't like that. Because she was, what, in her 30s, maybe? She's 32. So 25 years, she's going to be 55. 20, 58, math. Um, 57. You said 33. 32, damn it. 57. 57. So, I mean, that's, she still has 30 years of her life. But she has that death penalty on her record, too. Fuck, I don't care. I don't don't think the jury, I don't think the, well, I don't We don't know. know. We have no idea. Yeah. Shit, that's wild. That was a wild case. Isn't that wild that you can lie twice and people are just still like... Li- lie to a lie detector uh, and get away with it. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure that it was a lie detector. But, uh, okay, psychologist. How about that? Lie to a psychologist. Psychologist who's sure. supposed to be a trained person. And typically they're hired by the prosecution. So they're typically people who are looking for every instance to say... They're hired by both. No, you're right. Damn it. They both do independent ones. And then they're like, this is what he said. Yeah, this one here. Look over here. Well, okay, the issue that I have, once again, we talked about this during our 20, 20th episode, during the John Benny Ramsey like trial and stuff like that. I look back and look at cases that we have seen before of people who had almost no evidence or no evidence stacked against them, and 
They were shut they were, in jail. They were shock, shut in jail. Beyond a reasonable doubt. And said, you were stuck there. Dead. I mean, the San Antonio 4, we, I keep going back to that because that one still, to this date, still pisses me off. They were locked in jail for 13 years without actually having any sort of crime against them. Having any reasonable evidence besides this seven-year-old and eight-year-old or nine-year-old, however old they fucking were, that said, oh, yeah, someone touched me because someone told them to tell the jury to do that. And these four women got put in jail for 13 years because of it. That pisses me the fuck off. This woman went and lied for five years. Lied. And she said to the juries, I lied. She said it to the media before she was even arrested. Before she was even, no, I'm not arrested. Before she was in, even put on trial. Mm-hmm. She was arrested at this point. She Before she was even put on trial, she was told to, I mean, she, not told. She went to the media and told them all these different stories. and had By different her aspects. own volition. Exactly. And was paid for it. Correct. She got full media attention and got rewards from it. Because she was trying to pull a Casey Anthony. Yeah. And Actually, I think Casey Anthony happened after this. No, Casey Anthony was before this. It was in the early 2000s. This is 2008. And I'm pretty sure Casey Anthony's also 2008. That the the, the crime occurred. And then it spiraled on afterwards. Mm, you were the one who researched it. You have to you know, go back and look that up. I'm pretty sure it's 2000. Because, yeah, I don't know. But, that I mean, you look at it because, I mean, all this stuff with uh, the uh, San Antonio 4 happened 10 years before this. And so it's just like, how are you people in Arizona just saying, mm, I don't know if we have enough evidence to do anything against her? And in San Antonio, you know. She was reported dead on December 11, 2008. Kaylee Anthony. Okay, so it was after mm-hmm. all of this. Because uh, his was June of 2008, right? Well, Kaylee went missing on, uh, last was reported seen on June 16th, missing reported July 15th. Okay, so, so his was just right around after. the same time, yeah. Like, oh, sorry, right at the same time, because she, because she her went a case month finished before Kaylee Anthony's case finished before Jodi Arias's. So, and when I was watching the fucking forty-eight hours Dateline mystery about it, the same fucking prosecutor from the Kaylee Anthony trial, no way, with this stupid blonde hair, was reporting on it, and she was, she was on Travis Alexander's side. She was on the right side of the law this time. But the last time she she was was saying, Casey Anthony is not guilty. So she was the the defendant in the Casey Anthony murder. She was defendant in Casey Anthony murder. Yeah. She was not involved in the case, but was on the side of the prosecution for the Travis Alexander murder. a fucking bitch. Because she's a disgusting woman. Yeah. Oh, boy. Being a lawyer is gross. (laughs) I would not be able to be a defense, like a mur- like murder defense lawyer. I'd have to do like civil, or I'm sorry, civic kind of stuff. Like, I'd be like, you know, where's your fence go? I got you, girl. I would have to focus on like businesses and stuff like that. I'd have to like do business lawsuits because I wouldn't have to deal with people killing each other. Like, because yeah. I, I want to be the person that serves justice. So I would constantly be the person that says, did you actually do it? If if I was had to defend a murderer and they told me I actually murdered him, I would be like, nope, let's put you in jail then. You're going to jail because I'm not going to defend you. I'd easily sell my co- client out and lose money. I would not be able to – I would not be a good defense lawyer whatsoever. I think that's against some sort of a code that they mm-hmm. have or something. I mean, I would still – I know. I would listen to them and if they told me, you know, I did it, I'd be like, 
find a new lawyer. Yeah, I'm quitting. And that would be pretty good evidence against them to begin with. Um, yeah, that's bad. Yep. Um, wow, that's a wild story. I mean, that that's very similar to the Casey Anthony story, but Casey Anthony and her family all gotten way intense cahoots with each other. If you want to listen to the Casey Anthony trial, check out our last episode. At rspeedpodcast.com. That's Wazinga. Wazinga. I loved it. Um, yeah, check that out because, I mean, that was a wild story because, I mean, that entire family... Is in cahoots. All of it was it's, in cahoots. And they are all not knew in about cahoots it. anymore. Yeah. They all They're knew about slightly it. in cahoots. Oh, my God. You know what I figured out? What I happened? read today. Yes. Apparently, Kaylee An- or Casey Anthony's pregnant again. Are you serious? Yep. Also, after that, I was reading, and I don't know if they're just sending me So do you think because- that some of it was postpartum depression? I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. But I was thinking after your podcast. She was three. No, I know. But the entire time after she had her baby, she was already having issues with loving the child to begin with. Because she was going out partying. She was out doing everything else. That was like a year after the baby was born. Postpartum depression can manifest. And hers was called postpartum psychosis, which is different. Yeah. And I'm not sure how long that manifests. I'm not trying to defend her. I'm not trying to be a... Casey Anthony is a... a She's a monster. Yeah. Um... I'm just saying and I that, 100% like, hundred percent know that she did it. Yeah, because I mean, no, no matter I 100% how bad, know allegedly that she did it. Yeah, because I'm not trying to get sued. Because no matter how much, uh, I mean, yeah, I know that uh, John Ramsey's probably going to come and listen to our podcast and sue us. <laughs> John Ramsey's going to die. So. Yeah. <laughs> cross fingers crossed. Uh, oh, who's on the turn my mic down? <laughs> what happened? What um, is going on with all these levels? <laughs> they are uh, all over the place. I know. Where did that voice come from, Bailey? Why are you saying those things? These thoughts are not our own. Yeah, um, they're manufactured they from. Uh, that but bit, that is my that disclaimer. bitch over there. <laughs> we are in a public place, <laughs> and these voices are carrying. Yeah, it's we're in a bar. Apparently, I mean, look the the sh- liquor shelves. Bar, bar, liquor, liquor everywhere. There, there's a bar liquor, bar liquor. I barely I know her. <laughs> How dare you? I was halfway there. I was so excited for you to do it. I'm sorry. I was worried that you weren't, and so I went for it, and you apparently did it. Listen here, you bitch. Go yeah, on, you fucking bitch. Tell me your story. Okay, well. Here we are. We've got time. Uh, no, we don't. Um, so, since it is October 8th, and this whole situation kind of went... No. Today's October 9th. Um, it's almost what, October 10th. Yeah, it is. Um, so, this whole situation that I'm about to talk about went down on October 6th, so two days ago, uh, in 1998. But I also it's also coming out week, which I kind of want to talk about uh, coming out week a little bit, or I'm sorry, coming out day, which is on Friday, um, October 11th. Um, so coming out day is kind of important to me because I didn't necessarily have like a terrible coming out process. It was just like a longer process. Um, and I don't want to take away from anyone's thunder because uh, coming out is always a process regardless. Yeah. We uh, come out every day. Exactly. Every single day as gay people, we have that situation where we have to come out. Um, and that's something that we, that is different, that differentiates us from straight people because straight people get the privilege. That's what we call straight privilege. Um, it's not um, insult, but it's your your ability to walk. Live your life and people know your truth. Exactly. And you don't have to tell every single person, yeah, I'm straight. Yeah, I'm straight. Because that's not... You ne- you don't have to come out it's on something as, as that straight. something people assume. Which is one thing that I loved about... Did you ever see the movie Love, Simon? 
Mm-mm. Like the little there, there's little scenes in that movie where the the people who are friends with the gay boy uh, who has, is trying to come out with the process, um, they come out to their family as straight, which was super comical to me as a gay person because it was like their family was waiting for them to say that they were gay and they're like I have to tell you something and the family's like on edge and they're like I'm straight and like some of the family like goof- goofingly passes out or like cheers with them you know all those other things and so it's like that that's what we as gay people would love like we would love a family member to you know cheer with us and you know all that stuff so coming out is not always like that for every single person so I wanted to take a second to kind of talk about our coming out stories a little bit before I get into our topic. Um, I know that we're pressed for time a little bit, um, but like mine wasn't like a harsh situation. Um, I had always come from a, a very loving family, but throughout high school, I was always teased. Uh, I mean, freshman year, I was basically bullied and people were like, just come out already. Like you're, you know, a faggot, you know, you're gay. Like you're a little gay boy. Like just, you know, just, you know, be gay. You know, people were basically telling me, in a mean way to just be gay um and i was like i'm not gay and i'm not gay and so then i dated a girl for nine months honestly the longest relationship i've ever had so far was with Uh a woman that i didn't actually love um and uh she is heartbroken she i'm sure she has Uh, 12 kids now (laughs) probably i have not checked with her uh since we broke you should do that my sophomore year of high school um (laughs) i looked in mine and (laughs) some stuff has happened (laughs) the first one no um, yeah. Um, we're, well, we're friends on Facebook. <laughs> are you? Yeah. I blocked mine because back in, uh, uh, long story short, she started being mean to me after we broke up and started falling in, falling in with the bullying as well. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this, especially someone who I thought was one of my best friends at the time uh, and blocked her. So I don't know about her life, but I could probably go check. Um, anyways, so yeah, I like then... The bullying kind of went away my sophomore, junior, and senior year after her and I broke up at the end of this, my sophomore year. Uh, and so, like, I came out to one person after my senior year of high school, then slowly came out to more people in uh, college. And it wasn't until I, like, joined organizations that I realized that Texas there A&M... Exactly. Texas A&M is not as uh, conservative, ultra, ultra conservative, and, like, redneck as people think it is. And so it... Uh, uh, has very progressive organization on campus, and I joined those organizations that helped bring me to what I was today. Uh, then I dated a guy uh, very briefly. It was three months, but it was still my first relationship. And of course, you know, you fall hard for your first. Um, and uh, we broke up right around the end of finals, my uh, fall semester of my junior year. And I was in the middle of studying for finals, and I was dealing with I broke up with him and it was like a whole like me dealing with a situation of that pain and I was you know emotional and posting on Facebook like I always because that was I didn't have Twitter at the time so I was posting on Facebook as you know typical Twitter sad Twitter statuses and so my mom reached out to me and we had like a long text conversation uh, and I got to a point that was like uh, she thought I was fighting with a girl and she was like well why don't you you know just make up with her and I was like well it's a he and you know it went on and how went old are you now uh, 20, 20, I was 20. Um, and she just outwardly asked, well, did you love him? Cause I didn't ever say that I was dating him. I just said I was fighting with this guy and I really cared about him and all this other stuff. And she goes, well, did you love him? And I said, yes, I did. 
And so I never planned on coming out to my mom over text message. I never planned on that situation. She said him or him? Them. Him. Because I was talking about him at that point. Um, and so, like, I never planned about talking to her over text message about it, never coming out, coming out to her via text message, but it happened. And uh, then she told my dad because they were right next to each other. I kept because they had a bedtime, strict bedtime at 10 o'clock, and we had been texting until like 11 o'clock at night because she knew that I was upset and she was trying to help her, her, her child um, during finals, especially. And then at that point, I'd come out. And so then she didn't tell my siblings until I was in fish camp with this kid who got kicked out when he was like 16 um, for being gay. And so then she ended up telling my siblings because she wanted to defend me in case any of my siblings ever said, I don't like Chris being gay. So she was going to tell them, like, you're not allowed to be around Chris if he comes back home kind of situation. And uh, all my siblings was like, I don't fucking care. Or I knew already. So they didn't care. So it became a very open concept and it's been a very open, open life ever since then. So it was, but it was a very easy process. What about you? What's your, your coming out story? Um, let's see. So the first people I, well, I mean, if you start with the bullying, I was bullied for as far back as I could remember, honestly. Yeah, I think that, like, I try and look back... I would back, say middle school, or yeah. elementary school, even. I look back at, like, the bullying, and I think that there were people who used to make fun of me back when I was in elementary school and uh, middle school, but, like, I ignored it. Seventh grade, I got bullied a lot, but I think I got bullied a lot because I was wearing, like, Walmart clothes, and people would make fun of me because I knew it was from Walmart. Um, and, like, my family at the time had gone through a flood and all that stuff. I mean, I'm not saying that we were ever poor, but it wasn't, I'm mean, raising four kids that were all trying to go through school at the same time. Walmart clothes with what you got. So yeah. I mean, it's not a bad thing. Um, I think the worst year for me was sixth grade. Hmm. Sixth grade was bad. Yeah. Because one, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And because you're trying to get into your awkward body. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, fuck. And I used to wear, I used to wear, we were supposed to wear khakis and a polo. And I had gotten made fun of that in like the fifth grade, that and being gay. And like everybody used to wear these just plain navy hoodies with a zip up. Yeah. So I was like, if I get one of those, I'll be a cool. size bigger, nobody will ever know. Yeah. So I got one of those and it didn't help. And, I, I liked video games a lot and I would talk about those and it wasn't, I mean, they were talking about sports and things and I never had any interest in yeah. that. So I would get called a faggot. And yeah. But well, I don't think at that time I was called a faggot. They would just say, before that I would say, they would say, why are you, are you, you like girl stuff? That's weird. Are you a girl? I got say, called gay in fourth grade and I had to ask someone what that meant because I had no idea. Yeah. Went from girl to gay to faggot mm-hmm. um and then so i dealt with that all the time and i would come home from school super sad and my mom would always be like what's wrong mm-hmm. and i'd be like oh i don't know i just didn't do well at mm-hmm. what i wanted to do today and so sixth grade was the worst seventh grade was just as bad eighth grade was surprisingly starting to get better mm-hmm because I had started dating girls. Yeah. And so I could say, oh, <laughs> I'm getting a girl. It's fine. <laughs> Take a look at this bitch over here. <laughs> um, and they were always really strong women mm-hmm. that would just be like, fuck you. Yeah. The ones who would defend you. Yeah. Yeah. Because the school that I went to was not 
prim. Yeah. Um, they, they, everyone knew how to take care of their own. Yeah. And so I would have my little help. Yeah. But people would still, when I was alone, they'd say, why are you even dating a girl? You're a faggot. You're yeah. gay. And so then I started high school. Well, that was eighth grade? Uh-huh. Shit. Ninth grade, still just as bad. Mm-hmm. But then I started dating girls again, mm-hmm. and everything was fine. Um, progressively, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, same thing the whole time. I dated girls the whole time. Never did anything with them. We'd kiss, mm-hmm. and I'd pretend that I really liked them, but mm-hmm. I knew I didn't. And I'd still get called a faggot all the time. Um, and then probably halfway through my senior year, I was like, obviously this is not working. Yeah. And I had been dating one girl for like, we dated in freshman year and then junior and senior year. So I had taken like a year and a half of this girl's life. (laughs) And um, I felt bad. And uh, one day I came home from... I came home from work and I sat on the couch and I was sad because I don't even remember why I was sad. I was just sad. Mm. My mom was like, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing. So then I just sat there and she kept asking me, what's wrong? There's something wrong. With Mom's you. always fucking down. And I was like, there's I hate nothing it. <laughs> wrong. And I'm She's sure like, like every single time wrong that she you? asked, you were like, I would get more so sad, sad because exactly. I was thinking of exactly what exactly. I knew. Exactly. What was making you sad? Yeah. Well, the first person I ever came out to was when I was 13. I told my dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's I so was so cute. sad. And I came downstairs because I was just, I was crying myself to sleep. So I said, I'll go, I'll go lay with the dog. Mm-hmm. And I went and sat with him and told the dog first. Oh, that's so cute. Um, and then, like I said, I was sitting on the couch and. My mom said, what was wrong? She kept asking me mm. what was wrong. And I finally just said, well, <laughs> she just kept asking. And then finally I was just not talking anymore. And she was like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. I broke my she child. Got, <laughs> she got so livid and she started crying. So I said, I'm gay. Yeah. And my dad got up off the couch immediately. And he came over and he gave me a hug. And I said, he said, I'll always love you no matter what. Oh, that is so sweet. That's a good response. That's good. Take your time. (laughs) We can be serious on this podcast sometimes. (laughs) My dad's the sweetest man ever. Mm Mm-hmm. And my mom said, this isn't what I saw for your life. Mm -hmm. I had so many plans for you. And I still love you. And I'll get over it. Mm -hmm. It's just going to take a little while. Yeah. And so then they both gave me a hug. And I felt a lot better. And I, I don't know, I think it was really late. So I just went to bed. And I cried myself to sleep that night again. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Well, at that point, it was maybe more of an emotional release at that point. Like, you had just gotten a massive weight off your shoulder that has been something that you didn't know 
from your childhood and then you came into puberty and like this weight had now been on your shoulders that you're like, how do I express this? And now you just got that off your shoulders. So yeah. I imagine the tears were slightly altered at that point. <laughs> and it was so perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's not what I wanted my mom to say. Yeah. But like the, it didn't take her any time. Exactly. At all. Yeah. Um, and then I told some of my friends, like I was talking earlier on a, a Ruby podcast, my best friend from when I was 13, Tiffany, she had been gay since she was 14. So I said, I'm gay. And she was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you dumbass bitch. <laughs> Let's get to party. And, let- <laughs> and so I told her, and then I started to tell people selectively throughout high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was, just about to graduate. Yeah. When I was hanging, one of the ones that I remember particularly was a guy that I had uh, been friends with for a long time. Cause when I was young, we would hang out with the kids in the neighborhood and it, that was my friend and he was yeah. on the swim team and we had known each other since we were like 10. Uh, I was at my friend, um, one of my friend's house and he called me on the phone. And by then I had probably told maybe 20 people, mm-hmm. which of course is it spreads, circulating yeah. now. And uh, he said, hey, what's up? And I said, nothing. He said, hey, let me ask you something. And I said, what? And he said, you gay? <laughs> he said, are you gay? Not, you, you gay? gay? <laughs> and I paused for like, I don't even fucking know. It's probably 30 seconds. What but felt I like for an eternity, minutes. yeah. And I was like, yes. And he hung up on me. Okay. And then we were friends after that. I mean, not until He just needed to know the answer, maybe. Yeah. Um, he needed to figure out his own life. And then from that time forward, anytime anyone asked me, I was so proud mm-hmm. to Good. say that I'm gay. Yeah. That's what I think. I'll tell anybody on the fucking street. Yeah, same. I got to the point that after, my, after I came out with my parents, because before that, like, I had come out to several people like I said, up until like 2011. And so from 2011, 2012, I was still like very much like, why are you asking? Like, what do you, what do you know? Who told you kind of situation? And then once I told my parents, I was like, yeah, why do you want to know? Like <laughs> I just, you know, became un- unapologetic, unapologetically gay. And then going back to like what you said about your mom, um, my mom didn't have the perfect box answer either, but I mean, you have to understand. They I mean, don't know what to they do. They have no idea. Like you look at, I try, I have growing up now as living like my twenties, I can see how much of my parent, like looking at my parents, how much they don't know about it. Like even now they are literally people figuring things out because they have no fucking clue what the fuck they're doing. Even now as almost six year old parents, they have no idea. They're living their life. They're doing whatever. They're making their own choices. They are basically us in their 20s, just in their 60s with children who now have also children. And they have no idea. Like, yep. what the fuck are they do? So they had no idea how to respond to that. And so I, my mom didn't give me a perfect box answer either. And, I mean, I also didn't come out to her in the way that I wanted to because I wanted to, like, have a sit-down conversation with her like you see in movies or that you hear, like, these perfect situations. Like, oh, I sat my parents down and I told I them. I taped it and I was exactly. like, how the fuck could you do yeah, that? Yeah, Exactly. Uh, and so, like, I would have never been able to do that because I also would have been shaking like a crazy maniac or I would have been sobbing like a, a big-ass queen because I would have known it was coming to begin with. Um, but, you know, each – like we have – like I said beforehand, each person's coming out story is different. 
period. So, yeah. I mean, and what I think helped me a lot too, um, one, my parents probably already knew I was always. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I was like, let me buy an Aqua CD. They were like, that's what my, like Aqua. <laughs> my mom told me we knew. Like when I when I told her like, uh, yes, I love him. Uh, she was like, okay, and then she basically said something like. Uh, something similar to what your mom said. Like, this is not what we had planned for you. I don't remember what the exact words she, like, texted back to me were. Um, but basically she said, like, we'll always love you, but, like, this is not what we kind of, like, had ex- had expected for you, but we always knew. Like, we knew it to begin with. No, she told me that that's what my dad said. Dad was like, so? We always knew that anyway. So it was like, it it to me, it almost, like, because, I mean, it's coming out as gay is not like a I need a trophy kind of thing, but it's, a, it's one of those moments that you feel please like you need it. Me. Yeah, please validate the fact that I said these things to you. So when he said, we always knew that, it felt like the invalidation was taken away from me, but I still love the fact that they didn't care because they had always raised me and always saw me as this gay person to begin with, and it was not anything that was going to be different. So I think, well, I had another thing to add, but. I really wish that you would have gotten to come out to your parents in person. Me too. It's so different. I know. And the- that's why I think you had an emotional response and I didn't because I did not ever have that emotional connection to coming out to my parents. It was always just a very casual, like, oh, well, I told you about this already. Now we're just going to pretend that it didn't actually happen. Even though I, you know, talk about it all the time now, it yeah. was just never something that was addressed in, in like face to face. Because that, that hug that my dad gave me mm-hmm. as soon as I told him I was gay was the best hug yeah of my life it was the most validation that you got i yeah. mean I, the, the validation that we just talked about was something that you received in person yeah, yeah. i mean that that's one of the situations because i kept telling my mom that i wanted i kept on responding to my mom and saying i want to talk about this in person i want to talk about it in person but she wanted to help me in the situation and she wasn't going to see me for another three weeks so it was like we i mean ha- we need to help you with this in the situation because you're upset visibly and physically upset that you're not able to get through your finals right now. And if I don't help you get to the situation, then we're not going to help. We're not going to be able to help you through the finals, you know, kind of situation. And so, I mean, it was, it is what it was. And so I, I still, I still wish that exact same situation, but it is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have two things to add. My one wish is besides, I mean, I, I know that your wish is that you would have done it in person, but mm-hmm. I know that your wish and my wish both would have been to do it sooner mm-hmm. because it's so, so much weight off your shoulders. Mm-hmm. I could literally tell you that there was like a fucking curtain of mm-hmm. entire, uh, like an iron curtain around that entire portion of my life from six Maybe when I realized that I was gay until 17, where I was like, you told somebody you're gay. Yeah. A person that can listen and respond to you that you're gay. And now you're peeking out and the world is so much brighter. Exactly. And if you had known me in high school, you would have always pegged me as a kid who is authentically himself to begin with. But if I had been gay, there would have been another like layer of exponential level that would have taken me to that point of like I am who I am because I was this flamboyant gay boy to begin with I was that disaster of a mess in high school that was just everyone's friend that wanted to love everyone and just you know everyone pay attention to me like constantly well maybe yours is different because I was fake as fuck no I 100% was 100% 
plastic. No. And I thought about everything. Is this going to make people think I'm more gay? Is this going to make people think I'm more gay? Which choice yeah. is less gay? I need to do the choices less gay. I did have those things that were in my mind constantly. Uh, and I always tried to lower my voice. I always tried to uh, limit my inflection to my voice. Like I was always constantly paying attention to those certain situations. However, I still was... Uh, that because I was a huge band nerd and the band kids apparently ran my high school at the time. And so we like, if I was popular in the band, I was popular in high school to begin with. So that like the more popular I got, the less the bullying happened. And so like, as long as I was friends with everyone and pretended to be friends with everyone, then it made it easier for me. So I just I think that was, was true well for liked. me in high school. Yeah, definitely not in middle school. No. And I was still somewhat fake and, High school, but I was a little less fake. Yeah. Um, but what I think really helped me out the most was um, gay media. Yeah. Being able to, I mean, I never thought, like, my friend Caleb, who I've known since we were both 12, and he's mm. gay too. Was this the one that we met at Ripcord? No. Okay. No. Um, you probably never met Caleb. Okay. He lives in Pearland. Um, but he, we had been friends since we were 12, and he was always like, um, he was kind of rough and tumble. He liked punk music. He would, he was just kind of a punk. Mm -hmm. A little alternative. Yeah. And, um, of course I'm not that. And he's not like that as much anymore. He's still a little bit like that, but that was, I think his defense mechanism. And he had always told me once we come out together, because we hung out a lot when we were like 18 and 19, right after I had come out and he had been gay since, 16 yeah he knew when he was 13 and people were telling him but he wasn't ready to live his life as a gay person until he was like 15 or 16 uh but he always told me you know i never knew that there were other gay people mm -hmm. i thought it was just me yeah i'm the only gay person in the world yeah and i never thought that and i don't know why i didn't mm -hmm. i thought it maybe was just something inert in me that knew there was gay people out well, there. Well, see, by that point, even though I hadn't watched them, I had seen, like, Will and Grace. Yeah, and, like, like heard occasional about, like, gay characters exactly. on a television mm -hmm. show. And um, I knew that Logo existed, which is a whole network of gay people. And that's what helped me, yeah. because from, I like, never the watched age it, of 16 but I knew it was there. until, from the moment that I think I got, like, a cable box in my, mm -hmm. my bedroom, uh, I watched Logo, and I watched Queer as Folk. Mm -hmm. And okay. that was... Uh, Generous, generous, good, um, beginning representation, res yeah. representation of gay people, and they didn't always have a good time. Yeah, but they were always out, and, and they always wanted real. to be out. Exactly. Yeah, and they were happy, mm -hmm. and they loved each other. Yeah, and I think that's really what I was like. This is everything I want in my life. Yeah. And I don't care about the bad stuff that can happen because the good outweighs the bad. Exactly. And you always know that you have the chance to be loved by someone or your family or both. And like, there's always that. Because there's a, there's a mom and a dad character in there that yeah. they're like, yeah, my son's gay. You want to fuck him? Yeah. <laughs> Let's hook up. Come right. on. That's what my mom, that's one thing. Like my parents have always been, after we came out, have always been so supportive and always been very much like, 
you guys you gonna have, you gonna have sex with that one you know, like gonna hook up with that one like are you gonna you know i mean they're always very they would like a long-term relationship that comes out of me but they're always very supportive of like you know who's next kind of thing yeah. yeah i mean even when i was back home they were very encouraging of like me going on dates when i was in san antonio like living with them and i was like well i can't really go on dates if you guys are in the same house as me right so here. and also you will know when i don't come home and that means you know that i did the kind of thing uh but yeah it, they've always been very supportive since then so it's been it's been good and i know that it's not the case for everyone that's why coming out is always a process and we never want to um out anyone you mentioned two wishes what was you said the first wish was that we came out sooner what was your second wish do you remember no. <laughs> okay. Well, if you think of it while we're going on, uh, then remind me. But I'm going to go ahead and step ahead to what we're going to talk about. This week, I'm going to be talking about something rather gruesome and a little bit too close to home for comfort, especially at this current time when the Supreme Court has become hear- begun hearing cases regarding the trans rights and the LGBTQ rights in America. The legal, ballot, legal battle is over whether being gay or trans is a fireable offense and whether it is protected under the 14th Amendment under the basis of quote-unquote sex. I encourage all of you to not only do this research, but keep yourselves informed in this process, uh, but to also reach out to your brothers, sisters, friends, and family that identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, transgender, transsexual, or queer. Uh, while the judicial system argues over whether or not we are, um, we and our community deserve equal rights, we recognize that the fight is far from over and that we all need our allies now more than ever. This week is also National Coming Out Day on October 11th, so I saw it fitting to discuss the murder of Matthew Shepard. And I would add the LTAG sign off for that. We're here. We're, We're queer. queer. Get, Get used, used to it. it. Honestly. Um, I mean, I, this was the perfect chance for us to talk about it, especially right now as we're starting to hear these arguments from the Supreme Court, uh, or I'm sorry, to the Supreme Court, uh, especially with a conservative-leaning Supreme Court. Uh, I mean, we just need our allies more than ever at this point. Our allies need to help us help hold our hands. I mean, I have chills saying that right now because there's nothing else we can do. As of right now, it is sitting in the Supreme Court. Uh, we have to hope that at some point someone will recognize us and say, this is it. Those are people. These are, these are people that deserve rights. I mean, like every that's other what civilized country in the world. Exactly. But yet here we are in Trump's America that is showing us time after time that our trans brothers and sisters are in, they inferior don't people or don't exist. Uh, gay people are pretending that they don't exist. The White House is encouraging the Supreme Court to pretend we don't exist still. Uh, so we need our allies to step up. This is your chance to stop being the silent, minor- silent minority and actually fucking step up and do something. Um, I mean, make it known. I think that's the silent majority. Majority. You're Not right. You're right. You are right. Would you like water before we come um, in? Yes, please. Yes, okay. Getting to it. <laughs> I'm going to go back and see if I can find what we're looking She's so ready for bed. Hi, Booly. He's little Booly. Booly, Booly, Booly. Aw, sweet baby. Um, okay, topic. Matthew Shepard. 
was born on uh, 19, no, born in 1976 in Casper, Wyoming, to Judy and Dennis Shepard. Those names will come back again, so remember them. Judy and Dennis. Um, he and his younger brother, Logan, born in 1981, had a very close relationship growing up. Uh, Matthew Shepard attended grade school, middle school, and high school uh, until his junior year in Casper, Wyoming. Uh, he was a, a, a always very friendly towards all of his classmates, but was teased and made fun of for his small stature and lack of athleticism. Honestly, girl, same. Mm. Um, <laughs> I could not swing at a ball, even if I tried. That's why I joined individual sports. That's why I joined... Uh, I had done relays. Marching band. <laughs> Re- like running? No, swimming. Oh. Yeah, you were a swim team. Didn't do the that. captain. The captain. <laughs> Oh, oh my god, I can't. I can't. So, in the summer of 19... This is backwards. Uh, in summer of 1994, Matthew's father, Dennis, was hired and... Uh, damn it. Was hired by Saudi Aramco, based in Dahran, while Matthew... D-H-A-H-R-A-N. D-A-H-R-A-N. D-H-A-H-R-A-N. Dahran. Dahran. Dahran, okay. Um, While Matthew attended the uh, uh, middle... uh, The the American school in Switzerland. Um, While on a high school trip in 1995 in Morocco, Shepard had been beaten and raped, uh, causing him depression and panic attacks. Uh, One of his friends feared that his depression had driven him to become involved with drugs during his college years later. Um, after graduating in May of 1955, damn it, am I dyslexic now? Uh, May of 1995, he attended two colleges, uh, one in uh, Wyoming, another one in uh, Colorado. I didn't write them down. Uh, before enrolling as a first-year student at the University of Wyoming in Laramie. Laramie. Uh, is it Laramie? Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, on the, the accent on the wrong syllable. Um, on the night of October 6th of 1998, Shepard walked alone to a dive bar after a meeting with friends to raise LGBT awareness on campus, but no one wanted to drink, go for a drink with him afterwards. He was approached by two men in the bar around his same age named Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson, who pretended to be gay to lure Shepard to their car to rob him. Enticing him with a ride home, Shepard joined them. Once at the vehicle, McKinney beat him and took his wallet, which only had $20 inside. They then subsequently drove a mile out of town to a remote rural area where Henderson tied Shepard with a clothesline to a log fence and McKinney pistol-whipped Shepard between about 19 to 21 times with a butt end of a Smith & Wesson pistol, which, when I googled that, it's a very large pistol. Um... Shepard was then left tied and bloodied on the log, log fence post for 18 hours in the frigid Wyoming fall climate. So this is October, so I assume up in the mountainous area in Wyoming, probably almost 30. Yeah, uh, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so I know you do things in Celsius. Yeah. Well, I gave you the Fahrenheit. <laughs> oh no! It, it said that it wasn't below freezing, but it was very close to it. So, so one or two. Yeah, I'm assuming like in the mid to high 30s um uh so after that 
Henderson and McKinney returned to town. Once in town, the two picked a fight with two Hispanic youths named Emiliano Morales and Jeremy Herrera. The fight resulted in head wounds for both Morales and McKinney. Uh, once officer, police officer Flint Waters, which I find that name to be very ironic <laughs> in today's climate <laughs> because Flint does not have clean water. <laughs> Flint Waters. I'm sorry. That was a bad joke that I had written down, especially in the middle of this whole situation. (laughs) But I thought that it was comical to me. (laughs) Anyways. So moving on. Uh, Flint Waters (laughs) arrived on the scene. Uh, He arrested Henderson and then searched McKinney's truck, where he then found the bloodied gun, Shepard's shoes, and Shepard's credit card. Uh, later, McKinney and Henderson tried to persuade their girlfriends at the time to help destroy the evidence and provide alibis for them. Um, Shepard, back to Shepard. Shepard was still in a coma when the next day he was discovered by Aaron Aaron Kreifels, uh, a cyclist who had originally mistaken Shep- Shepard as a sher- Scare- scarecrow. scarecrow. Damn it! Um, so he had apparently fallen off his bike just before he found Shepard. And then, like, as he, like, got back on his bike, he was like, oh, well, that's a fucked up scarecrow. I'm like, I'm just going to keep riding. And then he was like, "Uh, wait, that's That's a fucking person. Uh, So then he called the police, and policewoman Reggie Flutie uh, arrived on the scene where she found Shepard arrived and covered in blood, but his breaths were few and far between. His face was so covered in blood that the only clear areas of his face were where there were streams from tears. Uh... Like, that's how harshly she found him. Uh, Flutie then attempted to open Shepard's mouth with her bare hands, but his mouth was clamped shut. Uh, She was quoted with saying, shit, I need to go. I didn't write that down. Um, She was basically, like, trying to coax him, like, in opening his mouth. uh, Because she, you know, it's like, come on. What'd she say? Shit. It's right. She thought he was younger, first of all. It's up here. Maybe. He was really short. Yeah, he was he was five two. Um, she remembers trying to re- revive him, saying, "Baby boy, I'm here, kiddo. You're gonna be okay. Hang in there. Don't give up. Come on, you can do this." As she's trying to like massage his jaw to open him so she can clear uh, airway, kind of thing. Um, oh shit! Get in there. Okay. Um, so then a day later, she was informed that. Uh, when Shepard had been moved to the hospital, that he actually was HIV positive uh, and that she had been possibly exposed due to the cuts of her hand. So then she began AZT treatment and for months and she ended up being HIV negative. But this is still at the tail end of the HIV and AIDS crisis kind of thing. So, you know, everyone that ends up being HIV positive, everyone's, even nowadays, people are, oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it was later written that Judy Shepard... Uh, had only learned about his status after the attack when he was dying on his deathbed. Um, Shepard was rushed to Ivinson Memorial Hospital before being moved to a more advanced trauma care in uh, Powdery Valley Valley Hospital in Fort Collins. Dang it. My voice. Powdery Valley Hospital in Fort Collins. Got it. Colorado, before his parents rushed from Saudi Arabia to be with their son. So they were still... On the other side of the world. On the other side of the fucking planet. uh, When they found out their son had been beaten, bloodied. Yeah, exactly. 
So he had suffered four, uh, four sc- fractures to the skull and a severe brainstem damage, uh, which affected his body's ability to regulate his heartbeat and his body temperature and other vital functions, which especially being stuck outside in frigid temperature and not being able to regulate your body temperature or heart rate is going to cause problems to your body. Uh, his injuries were deemed so severe that they could not operate his body. By the time his parents arrived, his head and face were bandaged and stitched up with tubes everywhere, enabling, trying to enable his body to stay alive. His toes and fingers by that point had already been curled so much they were basically in a comatose state. Uh, one eye was open, showing his blue eyes, and the tubes showed a dental brace, that, and that was what allowed his mother to identify him, his blue eyes and a dental brace. Imagine that you walk in a hospital, your mom walks in a hospital, and that's the only thing she's able to identify um, Shepard never regained consciousness and was pronounced dead at the age of 21 on October 12th, six days after the attack. Everyone breathe in. <laughs> and then we breathe out. <laughs> so, we got through the hard part. We, we're, most of the hard part. Yeah. Uh, so now we're it's going... It's just so terrifying mm-hmm. that... Had we been gay a little bit earlier, that this was a possibility. That was a hundred percent a possibility, mm-hmm. and even a little bit earlier than that, maybe a guarantee. Well, nowadays, I mean, we're still see- like I just said at the beginning, we're still seeing arguments about whether or not we're allowed to be fired for being gay. People are allowed to say, "I don't like you because you're gay." Bye. I don't care how good of a job you're doing. Especially one of the Supreme Court cases that are being heard. One of them it was a child protective services like kind of uh, person who had done so well for their county that he had brought it to a 100% visitation rate for all of his clients. So he had talked to and helped and rehabilitated all 100% of his clients in the county, but he was fired for being gay. So there's that. So he does an amazing job and did an amazing job. But just because he's gay, he was allowed to be fired. So that's why the Supreme Court is hearing these things. So once again, if you're an ally listening to this, step your pussy up. Make Get, a fuss. Make a fuss. Make a change. Do something. I don't know what you're going to do. Go out and donate to your LGBT causes. Go out and protest. Go out and l- hug and love on your LGBT brethren and sisters. Your trans brothers and sisters especially. Like, make a change. Okay, so... McKinney and Henderson were arrested and charged initially with attempted murder, kidnapping, and aggravated robbery. After Shepard's death six days later, the charges were upgraded to a first-degree murder, which made them eligible for the death penalty. Their girlfriends, Kristen Price and Chastity, not Chastity, 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 her name is Chastity, Chastity Paisley, were charged with being accessories after the fact, yes. Um, at McKinney's pre-trial in November of 1998, Sergeant Rob Dubry testified that McKinney had stated that he and Henderson identified Shepard as a robbery target and pretended to be gay to lure him to his truck. Detective Ben Fritzen testified that Kristen Price stated McKinney told her the violence against Shepard was triggered by how McKinney, quote-unquote, felt about gays. Mm-hmm. There's a stupid defense in there that makes me angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I might talk about it, but if I don't, please call me out. In December of 1998, Chastity Paisley 
pleaded guilty to being an accessory after the fact to first-degree murder. On April 5th of 1999, Henderson avoided going to trial when he pleaded guilty to murder and kidnapping charges. In order to avoid the death penalty, he agreed to testify against McKinney and was uh, sentenced by a judge, by judge, by District Judge Jeffrey A. Donnell to two consecutive life terms. At Henderson's sentencing, sentencing, his lawyer argued that Shepard had not been targeted because he was gay. McKinney's trial took place in October and November of 1999. Prosecutor Carl Rerucha, R-E-R-U-C-H-A, Rerucha? Rerucha. Rerucha alleged that McKinney and Henderson pretended to be gay, pretended to, be gay to gain Shepard's trust. Price, McKinney's girlfriend, testified that Henderson and McKinney had, quote-unquote, pretended to be gay to get Shepard in the truck to rob him. McKinney's lawyer attempted to put forward a gay panic defense, That's the one I was talking about. arguing that McKinney was driven to temporary insanity by alleged sexual advances by Shepard. This was apparently almost very convincing. They were very much like, okay. He was f- so freaked out. Of course out you'd go crazy they, if somebody hit on you. They claimed that he touched his leg and that he went wild because this man touched his leg and then just was so, like blinded by the fact and just did all these things and forgot all about it. But luckily, the defense was rejected by the judge. Uh, McKinney's lawyer stated that the two men wanted to rob Shepard but never intended to kill him. Uh, Prosecutor Rarucha argued that the killing had been premeditated, driven by quote-unquote greed and violence, rather than by Shepard's sexual orientation, which... So they were trying to downplay the whole gay thing because they were worried that the gay thing was not going to be... get enough traction essentially and say that they were trying to rob him i guess and they pre premeditated to rob him uh mckinney was found not guilty of premeditated murder but was found guilty of felony murder and began to deliberate the death penalty that was my butt moment I knew that. Okay. <laughs> uh, Shepard's parents brokered a deal where McKinney received two consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. So I guess Shepard's parents, even though they lost their fucking child, were still like, I don't want this other guy to go to, to, die. to die. Yeah. I don't want him to go on death row, but I still want him in fucking jail. And so they put him two consecutive life terms without parole. I don't know. In my heart of hearts, I don't think that that we as humans have any right to tell other humans they need to die. I'm not about the death. And I think that in this case, while I'm very heated and I don't wish that that man was alive anymore, I don't think I could have the heart to tell somebody they'd have to kill him. I am some person who is not in favor of the death penalty. Um... Throw them in jail. Throw them in solitary forever. Yes. Till they die. That's my thing. I think that's a worse punishment than killing them. I want them to live out their life remembering the days that they killed someone. And also, the reason why I said this, because I know know for a fact that there are men and women who are convicted, uh, wrongly convicted in our judicial system to begin with, of crimes and sentenced to death when they shouldn't be sentenced to death, first of all. But that's not my reasoning. My reasoning is I want someone to know and to remember and to live those with that days for the rest of their lives. Exactly. You killed someone. 
you killed natural born life. You have to remember that. Exactly. You have to remember those moments and have that with you. That's your torture. Also, what I didn't add on mine, Judy, uh, Jody Arias, when she was convicted, um, she was going up against the, against the death penalty. She said, I hope they kill me because I want my freedom immediately. I don't want to have to wait for it. So then that, so kill me. Yeah. Solidifies your argument. Say, uh, no, you don't get to die yet. Yeah. So they broke out of uh, yeah life without parole, or I'm sorry, two consecutive life terms with the, without the possibility of parole. Um, Shepard's death continued to attract uh, media coverage long after the trial. Two situations that really irritated me was 2020 wrote, uh, I mean, did a story about him, which I want to go back and watch the 2020 article. Or, I'm sorry, 2020 uh, episode, I guess. And then there was an article wrote known as the book of matt attempted to paint both of them attempted to paint a different picture claiming that his sexual orientation was never the motive in this homicide uh they were basically trying to paint a picture that it was driven by drugs uh which also led to a lot of public criticism and outcry uh this whole situation i mean 2020 uh one of the girlfriends i think it was price got uh re-interviewed during the 2020 interviews i guess and she basically said oh yeah i lied about him saying that he felt that way about gays after saying all this stuff in the trial i was like can't you go to jail again for perjury especially admitting that on uh do it who was that price the girlfriend she admitted to saying that she lied about saying it was a about him being gay that's 100 percent perjury yeah so i mean she could go to jail again for saying that and so i was like Okay, so all of you guys are trying... I don't know who paid them or told them to say this was not about him being gay. It's probably a book deal. Any, any, any certain deal. Say, media would yeah. say, let's spin it this way. Yeah. And I'll pay you for and it. And sure enough, that's what they tried to do. Both 2020 and this book of Matt tried to say uh, that being gay could have been one part of it, but it wasn't most of it. It was mostly about drugs. Matt had apparently gotten into like methamphetamines and stuff like that, whatever he was in college. Um, and so like drugs were a part of his life. Uh, and so like, well, I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but I mean, it was one of those situations that they were like, Oh, well these kids were attacking him because they were all on drugs. They all wanted meth. Uh, and so that was part of the situation. Why would you believe that? I don't Why know. would you believe somebody that said that they wanted meth? Especially if they were on meth. <laughs> and they were meth users. Like, uh, I don't know. Um, so then the Westboro Baptist Church pro- protested Matthew's funeral with anti-gay signs and screaming homophobic slogans such as Matt in hell and God hates fags. We see them at every single one of our Houston prides. We see people, I don't know if it's Westboro Baptist, but we see members of, members of someone someone's church there uh that's yelling these things and you see all those people at all their pride events kissing in front of them and i just think that we just need to stop giving a platform stop even addressing them stop even walking up to them don't even pretend well, they, they exist because the city has to give them space by the mm-hmm. parade and then by it's the just first amendment i know face. i know and there's nothing you can do about it i know and the people at the parade get angry. Yeah. Because why would you not be angry? Yeah. And I don't know. They should section off parts of Pride where the person is that because they have to order their spot or whatever. Uh-huh. You should section that off. Yeah. And say, This is it. This is your spot. Go for have it. Have a middle ground. Yeah. 
Well, no, part of our spot that's for the Pride Parade roped that off. So they're just talking to a street corner. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, Romaine Peterson, which 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 was one of Shepard's friends, assembled a group wearing white robes and gigantic white wings. And by gigantic, I googled it. They were These huge. are giant wings. Um, they encircled the protesters, which was so beautiful. Um, the police then intervened and created a barrier between the two groups. So there was basically two walls. It was still said that Matthew Shepard's parents could still hear the homophobic slurs and chanting uh, from between them. Romaine Peterson was then uh, noted for creating a group called Angel Action, which is a group that is dedicated to counter-protest for LGBT causes. Uh, so the legacy of this whole case, Judy Shepard immediately became a LGBT advocate, particularly issues regarding gay youth. Uh, she was a main force behind the Matthew Shepard Foundation, which Judy and Dennis, both of his parents, founded in December of 1998. So this is only three months after his death. Um, the foundation excuse me, runs uh, outreach, education, and online and offline advocacy programs dedicated to raise awareness of anti-violence and promote human dignity for everyone by engaging schools, companies, and individuals in dialogue. Uh, I don't want to say that. I need to do what it actually tells me to do. LOL. <laughs> so they have different programs like the Laramie uh, Project Support, uh, which is a play created in the aftermath of Matthews. I've seen that play. Have you? I haven't seen it. Uh, 1998 murder. The Matthew Shepard Foundation works with companies, colleges, and universities, high schools, community theaters, and religious groups to provide a variety of services, including media resources, historical ba uh, background and context, creative consultation, and assistance with school curriculums related to the play. The organization has worked with productions all across the United States, as well as Canada, Australia, France, and the United Kingdom. They work in collaboration with the play's Creators, Tectonic Theater Project, and uh, travels to different communities to lead post-show discussions, teach, and serve as a panelist for related community-wide discussions on creating safer communities. They also, the foundation also has Matthew's Place. Matthew's Place is an online community designated to provide support to teenagers and young adults with within sexual orientation and gender identity identity minorities as well as their allies this website also provides blogs written by young people from across the united states resources for those who are struggling with coming out or reconciling their faith and sexual orientation slash gender identity and interviews with notable people within the community and allied community they have public speaking safe school resources small bear dig dreams which is a pre-k through 12th grade educational program that was started in 2000, uh, 2007 which is designed to teach the values of respect for all people people and acceptance of individual differences uh, and they also have the spirit of matthew award which recognizes the uh recognizes and honors those who teach diversity acceptance and understanding through their words and actions uh established in matt's names and in matt's name in an effort to encourage the desire for change that matt showed in his life recipients are honored annually at the organization's bear to make a difference gala and dick gala dinner sorry um so yeah that they have a bunch of different programs. I just wanted to touch on that briefly. Um, almost done. In June of 2019, Shepard was one of the inaugural 50 American quote-unquote pioneers, trailblazers, and heroes inducted into the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor within the Stonewall Museum Monument in New York City's Stonewall Inn. The Stonewall 
National Monument. Um, what did I say museum and monument? No, Stonewall National Monument. <laughs> the Stonewall National Monument was the first U.S. national monument dedicated to LGBTQ rights and the history, uh, and the wall's unveiling was timed to take place during the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, which was World Pride. Mm. Um Hate crime legislation under the uh, became under scrutiny during this time after uh, Matthew Shepard was murdered. Uh, as the United States and Wyoming did not classify crimes based on sexual orientation as hate crimes, Bill Clinton at the time tried to renew attempts to classify crimes against gay people, women, and people with disabilities as hate crimes, but it was stripped and in committee in 2000. On March 20th of 2007, the Matthew Shepard Act was introduced as federal bipartisan legislation in the U.S. Congress, sponsored by Democrat John Conyers with 171 co-sponsors. Shepard's parents attended the introduction ceremony. The bill passed the House of Representatives in May, on May 3rd of 2007. Similar legislation passed in the Senate on September 27th of 2007. However, then George W. Bush... Uh, president indicated that he would veto the legislation if it reached his desk. Bastard. Which I have something to say on that, but we'll wait on that. Um, the Democratic leadership dropped the amendment in response to opposition from conservative groups from conservative groups and President Bush, and because the measure was attached to a defense bill, there was also a lack of support from anti-war Democrats. Um, on December 10th of 2007, congressional powers attached bipartisan hate crimes legislation to a Department of Defense authorization bill, although it failed to pass. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House at the time, said she was still committed to getting the Matthew Shepard Act passed. Pelosi planned to ha get the bill passed in early 2008, although that did not succeed. Following his election, in, uh, following his election President Barack Obama stated that he was committed to passing the act. The House passed the act designated HR 1913 by a vote of 20 I'm sorry 249 to 175. Ted Kennedy, Patrick Leahy and a bipartisan coalition introduced the bill in the Senate on April 28th. It had 43 co-sponsors as of June 17th of 2009. The Matthew Shepard Act was adopted as an amendment. Uh, by a vote of 63 to 28 on July 15th of 2009. On October 22nd of 2009, the Senate passed the act by a vote of 68 to 29, and President Obama signed the measure into law on October 28th of 2009. The Matthew Shepard Act expanded the 1969 hate crime law to include crimes motivated by a victim's actual or perceived gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. In 2018, Matthew Shepard's ashes were instilled in the Washington National Cathedral, the spiritual, what is deemed as the spiritual home of the nation, uh, with the likes of Woodrow Wilson and Helen Keller. Um, the collection of his personal effects donated by his family has gone on display in the Smithsonian, Smithsonian's in, the, damn it, Smithsonian Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of American History in the U.S. capital of Washington, D.C. So... The death of Matthew, Matthew Shepard, who was, I'm sorry, the death of Matthew Shepard 21 years ago shows the distances that we have come, yet the Supreme Court cases and the passing of the Matthew Shepard Act just a few years ago still show how far we still have to go in our fight for equality. And how long it takes. Exactly. So. It's not the short fight. Exactly. It has not been the short fight. It will never be the short fight. 
And like L tags has talked about multiple times before, no matter how hard we fight as gay people, we will always need our allies more than ever. And this is one of the situations. Honestly, we are sitting here at a moment in our history and our time that we need that extra step and that extra help to get us there. So here we are. (laughs) I know that was a powerful story, wasn't it? It's heavy, heavy. Talk about spoopy. (laughs) I don't feel spooped right now. That was not spooped. That was just hard. I feel sad. Mm -hmm. I feel sad. I mean, I'm happy of the outcomes. I know. I feel bad for Matthew Shepard. And that's what a lot of people like. There's still to this day criticisms. uh, I read it. Um, of him being recognized as this like poster child for the gay community because he was, you know, a drug addict and, you know, he had his own depression issues. He had his own suicidal tendencies. But honestly, I said that makes him more of our community because, I mean, I hear time and time again these kids who are battling with depression, battling with suicidal tendencies, battling with, you know, all sorts of their own personal health issues with drug issues, with body issues. That it's like, that is what a gay icon is. That's what any person is. Honestly, that, that makes him even more true to who we are. So you arguing that he's not actually a gay poster child is wrong because he's still, he is that gay child. He is that person who was murdered for being gay, being real. Regardless if it was drug-induced or not... He was still he was... murdered for being gay. Exactly. So I don't care what everyone else tries to argue or whatever. He is still the epitome of the idea of a gay person in a modern world who is dealing with drug abuse or suicidal tendencies or a personal past that really affects him or anything like that. So, I don't know. It was... It's hard to read. It is hard to read. It was it was hard it's to read. Something that I think that all people should read. Mm-hmm. I know, and he's a part of American history. I mean, he is instilled in the uh, national. national the, yeah, exactly. When people of the likes of like Harvey Milk, he's not. His ashes aren't there. Mm-hmm. He, he's not instilled there. He, Matthew Shepard made a huge change in America's history that changed the way that we view gay people and the way that we treat each other. And so, like, I really hope they, in these Supreme Court proceedings, go back and use these instances instances with Matthew Shepard and say, it took you 10 years to get any sort of thing passed after his death to say you probably shouldn't hate people for being different and you probably shouldn't hit them or beat them up because they're different. And that's your only reason. So maybe that's illegal. And so now, 10 years after that, we're now arguing, can you fire someone for being gay? Why is that a question? Because lobbyists. But that's a different topic. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm dragging it on. <laughs> um, well, that's our spoopy podcast. <laughs> Stop. We can't end it on that. Just get, uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> just you? dance. Well, um, I mean, let's take it back to some some brighter times, real quick, and yes, talk about it. our uh, Rupee podcast. Oh my that gosh, just came out. <laughs> it is wild. Yeah, 
Well, because both of them came out because you bitches are lazy. Well, also because uh, Dragula slash Amazon. Yeah, they don't release on the same day. It's always a mess. Yeah. But anyways, you should take a look back at our past two episodes for Dragula. We had two special guests, Suddenly Seymour and our girl... Savannah, Savannah Maggie. Na, 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 na. <laughs> so check those out. Also, um, why don't you go take a look at our Instagram? That's Always. Our Spoopy Podcast at OurSpoopyPodcast.com. Our Spoopy Podcast at Instagram.com. Our Spoopy at Twitter.com. And Our Spoop at Facebook.com. Also, do you, do you have email? Like, Does anyone have email nowadays? Check it out. It's wild. You can send individual messages to anybody, anytime. What? If you want to do that for us, it's just ourspoopypodcast at gmail.com. Just send us a message. Spencer will get them and maybe forward them to me in a week. Well, well see. yeah. Um, <laughs> what do people from the 90s say? Drop us a line. Drop us a line. Oh Drop my God, us a I line. I hate that. Page me. <laughs> Call back. Just call my beeper. <laughs> I will get to you as soon as possible, but if it's very important, type 505. I think that meant SOS. Oh, no way. Did it? Yeah. I hate there that. There were beeper codes. Beeper codes? That's next time on Ars Poopy Podcast. Wait, I have something to say. Beeper Hold on. Codes. I'm scrolling. I have one thing to say. My name is Chris, and I have something to say. When did he email me? Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to talk about uh, our sister podcast from... Uh, let's, let's talk, talk about, about gay stuff uh, because I'm obsessed with their podcast let's so much, and I've referred to them a couple of times. Should I just search his name? Shit, uh, that's questions. Oh, oh, oh. I thought I started. Maybe not. Um, so their podcast is great because they talk about like lots of gay history. Are you looking for the economy? Works yes, no, okay. I've got. Did you I can get find it? it? Much quicker. Yeah, I have no idea. It's not showing up. Uh yeah so uh yes definitely ta- listen to uh, L tags we love Tony and we love Kendall and we love our boss Thomas uh they all keep us entertained while they talk to us about gay history uh because they they're I mean they're just as funny as us no they're not they are <laughs> slightly less funny than us uh because we are comically hilarious and you basically sound like you're sitting here listening to our conversation which is also fine in our living room or my living room um and we love them they crack me up especially whenever like one of them gets heated about something and it's always kendall yeah mostly kendall well tony sometimes tony is like very like oh hold on and i'm yeah. like oh but most of the most of the time it's just <laughs> <laughs> i love that um also we'd like to Thank our sponsors. Economy yeah. Works, a uh-huh. freelance talent network that connects professionals with project work. If you're a company that needs help with writing job descriptions, conducting market analysis, Ooh. managing your social media platforms, <gasps> Economy Works has an extensive, sexy talent network oh. of freelance professionals <laughs> ready to help you do more with, with less. less. Economy Works. When we work, the economy, economy works. works. Find out more at economyworks.com. That's E C O N O M I W O R K S.com. I love that. 
Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh, we brought the mood up, didn't we? <laughs> we just needed to do a little screaming. Yeah, we just needed to yell a little bit. We needed to yell in unison. We needed to wake my dog up because look at her fucked up face. She's like, what the <laughs> Can we go to bed yet? <laughs> Honestly, I'm ready for bed. I know it's one o'clock. So, um, should we tell them to get, get spooky with, with it? it. <laughs>